0: it's time to scramble off to the lobby of this hotel to which i will probably have to physically pry agent keith krider away from the worker ants to kick off my agent's round table so leave your kickstands up for the next round of the drive on the road with ryan blake oh yeah it's all about the drive now there's many reasons why i enjoy this trip first Walking into the lobby, uh, regardless of what lobby it is, every day, and weaning your way through the masses of GMs and decision makers, agents, and other friends, and there's this buzz, this humming constantly, it might be with agents negotiating pre-draft workouts, GMs greeting other GMs, and there's the chatter of rumors, uh, trade possibilities, and sometimes gauging into other pre-draft workouts. All right, this is Ryan Blake, back here with The Drive, and I'm on the road in Chicago at the Chicago Combine, the pre-draft Combine. I'm here with Keith Kreider, the president and CEO of Edge Sports. He's an agent, and he's repped over 200 players over the last 20 years. Players like Kendall Gill, John Sally. Uh, he also has Yogi Ferrell here in the, uh, in the NBA right now. An agent here in Chicago representing a number of players in the NBA G League and this upcoming draft. Uh, you are also representing what many people outside the front offices are calling the mystery man, but we will get to that in a second. Uh, the first thing I want to talk to you about though is from an agent's perspective, you know, down in the lobby here we you know all the agents are around. Um, I want to know the process from recruiting, signing managing a player through this draft process so where do we begin like for you
1: well you know because i've been doing it for quite some time fortunately i've gotten to the point where i could run it somewhat on referral but what we do is we identify probably the top 25 kids in the draft uh who we feel have uh, potential to go first round you know maybe anywhere from you know 25 to 45 uh And then we kind of narrow it down a little bit, and uh, we try to uh, sign maybe five to seven guys a year. We keep it really simple. We like to create a family atmosphere. And, uh, you know, by the time the uh, season is over, you know, we know who we really want to zero in on. We know who we want to present to. And we probably present to about ten players, hoping to land, like I said, about five to seven. Very intense. For every player I pitch, there's probably 100 agents that pitch them. Um, And it used to be where a lot of kids... Um, we're signing with an agent based on their merits, but what's going on today is a lot of kids like to play NBA dress up. Uh, a lot of the kids are bought, unfortunately, and they get caught up in signing with people for the wrong reasons. And um, now, are we,
0: are we talking about the top? We're talking about lottery. We're talking first round. Or are we talking all the way through undrafted players? Because that, you know, because here's the well, deal. That's
1: a good point, Ryan. I would say you know, kids that are probably in the first round. It's become a little bit more professional. Let's be fair about this. I was probably alluding to more of the second-round type kids. Um, the kids are looking to climb a little bit. The kids were like maybe, you know, 35 to 75, let's call You're it. saying those
0: are the ones that are being bought
1: a little bit, yeah. And I feel like they're making some poor decisions at times because they're just not really looking behind the curtain as to who could help them over a 10-year period. They're getting caught up a little bit in the glam, and they're looking mm-hmm. at, okay, who's yeah. providing a trainer in L.A., New York? You know, where can I play NBA dress-up a little bit? Who's going to pay for everything under the sun uh, leading up to the draft? So I feel like, to some extent, they need to kind of take a deep breath and look at everything and measure an based on how can they help me both on and off, and who's going to really be my partner over a 10-year period, because you're really building a brand, you're building a business. And I feel sometimes I get caught up in, okay, let me just see who I can really marry for the next six weeks in hopes of just having my training paid, in hopes of having my housing paid. And it's sometimes a little bit of a money grab. Not everybody does it, but the kids, I feel, they get caught up in that make some mistakes. And, uh, you know, by the time the draft happens and, you know, we're uh, moving into August... Uh, very often our phone will ring with, you know, I made a mistake. I should have looked at the totality of what someone can, can bring. Um, let me back up a little bit and go back to the first rounders. I have seen over the years um, that it's become a little bit more professional. Um, guys are actually uh, looking for someone that could really build their brand and uh, really help them way, way beyond just the training aspect. Um, so, yeah, to answer your question, I think it has gotten a little bit more professional in the first round. But make no mistake, several kids are still bought. I mean, some people will offer marketing guarantees and say, "Listen, here's 250, 500. Mm-hmm. I'm going to guarantee you, I'm going to generate X, and if I don't, right. you can keep it." And that's tantalizing, right? The kids are pretty impressionable, and they get caught up in that. So, to some extent, you know, I am hoping that between the NC2A and the unions and everybody else, over the years, it does become a little bit more uh, professional and it becomes uh, there's a little bit more governance because um, I think the industry needs it.
0: Well, we have, you know, this year we broke uh, records for the number of early entry players. 236? Uh, yep. Two, I think it was 37. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, uh, so we have now we have a testing process. We have a number of, of these kids that are not going to be um, invited to Chicago. So that should be an indication. But um, they do go through the player advisory council, uh, you know, committee. Uh, that's also a good thing. It's
1: a wonderful program. I now, love that
0: but thing. when you do get someone that is not going that comes to the combine, uh, gets good, gets feedback that you know what? you're not gonna you could be second round, okay? but you're not most likely not first round. What do you say to a kid that, okay, well, I really want to leave. I could get drafted in in the second round, but second round means you, you may not be drafted because as we, as you know, that a lot of the teams, even those teams with multiple picks, will sometimes choose an international guy that's under contract and let them develop over there. So I think the percentages go down. When you have a, let's say you not have a player, but you. let's say you're talking to a player, and what kind of information do you give them if you say, okay, you may not get
1: drafted? Well, it really depends if he's peaked, right? If I feel like he is who he is, and if he's projected to go 45, and that's who he is, um, then you know you can make the argument maybe going back doesn't make you know all the sense in the world because um, you might. It be is in the a same, case by case. It spaces. is a case by case because you might say to yourself, you know, uh, next year you might be in the same spot. But if it's a kid who has wonderful upside, you know, you look at the Cade Bates Diop kid who got injured last year, and I don't know if he was flirting with coming out or not, but terrific family, wonderful kid made an awesome decision. I heard a rumor, I could be wrong, that some people were telling him, even though you're hurt, maybe put your name in and see what happens. And I was thinking, geez, you've got wonderful upside. You're long. People love you. Go back, have a wonderful year, and you can grow. Because his upside was was such where, you know, maybe last year um, no one was even thinking about it because he was injured, and they were thinking maybe mid to late second round, if not undrafted. But if you come back and you have a strong year, maybe you can slip into the top 20. Well, look at what happened. Big Ten Player of the Year had a wonderful year. Mm -hmm made his bones and you know now he's right there right he's in the mix for a top 20 pick so really it's a case by case basis but I always tell kids you know listen 236, 37 kids came in only 60 can be picked the draft is incredibly difficult because in the second round you know after about 35, 36, 40 teams start throwing darts right and they start throwing darts overseas to stash so you know you probably are seeing maybe a third of the draft, half the draft international kids now so it's really really difficult to hear your name So unless you're a surefire kid, you might think about going back to school, especially if you're close to graduating. If you're a junior thinking about coming back for your senior year and you're really on the bubble, you got to go back, get your degree, and give yourself a little bit of a floor. If you're a freshman, sophomore, you're getting some love in the low first, high second, you know, maybe, you know, I see the virtue of that, but go through the NBA program that talks to all the NBA teams. To determine where you sit they're very good at determining that range i love that program and i think every kid must start with that program and kind of go from there but uh you got to be very careful now it's interesting with the advent of the two-way um some kids decide or can decide to maybe stay in because they think you know what i'm not a lover of school anymore um you know uh i don't know how much better i'm going to get So maybe what I'll do is even if I'm not picked, I'll have a little bit more leverage because if I have a good name and I do well in workouts, even if I'm not selected, I'll have maybe five, seven teams that want to sign me. I'll have some leverage. I might be able to get some guaranteed money and or get a two-way. And if you get a two-way, not a terrible thing, especially when the max days are 45 at a proration of 4,600 a day, run the math, not a bad living. Yeah, and even if you get a, an exhibit ten, which is fifty thousand to go to camp today, and the salary has moved up, the uh, level A and the G League has moved up to thirty five thousand plus the fifty, that's eighty five. You know, you say to yourself, do I want to make eighty five thousand dollars or go back for for college? So it's a it's a more difficult decision today with the advent of the two way. I have to say. So I, here here's a question. Sense?
0: Yeah, it absolutely yeah. does. Now I got a question for you. What do you tell a kid? Okay, goes through the draft. Whether he gets, uh, let's say he's undrafted, okay, and he asks you the question, "What should I do? Should I try to get a contract where I can make decent money, or maybe better than what I can make in the G League, or should I go into the G League
1: right away?" You know, to me, that's such a personal. That's a that's a case by case basis, and that's really a personal question. Um, Some kids decide that, you know what, I'd like to be in someone's program. I don't care that I'm not making a lot of money. I want to stay stateside, prove myself, position myself, and hope for a call-up. I think as a rookie, it's very difficult to get a call-up. So it's a risk. Um, But let's face it, if you play well in the G League and put up numbers, even if you're not called up, you are that much more marketable overseas. So there is a benefit to that. But you know, I tell most kids that it depends how close you are. If, in fact, you're not drafted, and you go to summer league and you have a good summer league and a team locks in on you and they say honestly, I don't know if you necessarily will be able to make our roster, but we like you, we want you to stay close. If you have an open, honest conversation with a club and they feel like you are better off staying, staying stateside, then I would consider that because you're really right under their nose and they're going to be watching you all year and there's, there's uh, you know, um, something to be said for that. But if a kid doesn't have any idea as to how close he is, and he's just throwing a dart and jumping into the G League and hope to get called up, I think that's silly as a rookie. I think you're better off going to Europe, playing well, get on a platform, get to one of the better leagues like Belgium, Italy, Spain, France, and have a good year. And we've seen, whether it be Patrick Beverly, whether there's a bunch of names out there now where guys have stayed in Europe for a couple years, have done well, and have signed guaranteed contract. They've bypassed the summer league route. And even if you didn't get a guaranteed contract and you played well overseas, um, you could certainly make a run again by coming through Summer League and doing your thing. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with going overseas and, and, and making a decent buck, but uh, it's really a personal decision.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's a it's a case-by-case case situation. It so is. here's here's my my thoughts on that. If your name is hot, mm-hmm. and that means if you have some attention, uh, you've been scouted, let's say you're a senior coming out, I think it's an investment of your game, first off, because you're playing in a league if you go to the G League, okay? If you go to the G League, you're playing uh, with, uh, you're in an NBA system, NBA coaches, uh, you're in the most scouted professional league in the world. Yes, you can get uh, 10-day contracts. Uh, You got NBA trainers and so forth. Sometimes, especially now, when you do go overseas, whether it could be Germany, could be Italy, could be wherever, most of the scouts, when they have to go over there, they're either scouting uh, draft, future draft eligible players that are prospects, kids that they may have under contract, and so forth. And if you invest in that game and give you that opportunity to improve, and you then think, okay, you know what? I'm not getting those looks here in the G League. I'm not getting those 10-day contracts. Now... Those people, because the G League is so strong that they are now, those leagues, you know, especially Spain, Joan Roca, I know I've talked to a lot of them, they take you know these, know. you know Joan, yeah. okay, so yeah. they look at those, their worth is more, and the opportunities
1: more, and it's
0: about opening the doors 100%. wider and
1: wider. As I said earlier, and I think you're nailing it, that one of the benefits of playing in the G League, if you're not called up, is that you are building your brand. If you put up numbers, people all over the world absolutely respect that. So you position yourself for a wonderful gig the following year. That's for sure. The tricky thing is, if you go to the G League and you're not playing very much, or you get stuck in a situation where you're kind of stifled, and you don't put up any numbers, eh, very hard to recover from. So it's, 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 it's a tough thing.
0: Oh, yeah. It's all about the drive, baby.